welcome back everyone to another episode of Cinema Demori. I'm your host, White Boy Chuck, joined by Justin and Lexi. We're continuing on with uh, our Soderbergh films. Last week, Out of Sight. This week, moving, moving on up to what I believe is, I would say it is probably my favorite of all of his films. Uh, this one and the next one that we're doing back to back, I think, are probably his two best. And I don't, they couldn't be more different from each other, uh, which is, again, why I wanted to pick him because I think he does go through, he can go very extreme into many different directions. But this week we're talking about uh, The Informant starring Matt Damon. And I believe, Lex, you said this was your first time ever seeing this film? Yeah, yes. It, it was amazing. And, and you enjoyed it? <laughs> Maybe a little bit? Oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. It was like, oh my god, this movie is so good. I feel like that's that that was that was everyone's reaction in 2009 when it came out. Was <laughs> well, this looks like a movie with Matt Damon with a goofy mustache. How good could it be? I meant to see it when it came out. I intended to. I had it on like my hard drive. I was going to watch it, and then I just fell off to the wayside, and I never got around to it. I don't think that we even saw it. Well, I didn't see it theatrically. I didn't see it till it came to good old Hollywood video. It's based on a true story. I do love the opening title card that just says like, yeah, like we changed some stuff and, you know, some characters are composites like, oh, there you go. It's like, so don't, there. don't yell at us. Yeah, yeah. Don't yell at us if something's not 100% correct. Um, but yeah, it's based on a true story of a guy that, you know, very much like a like a Hitchcockian type uh, gets it gets himself in over his head, uh, somehow becomes an FBI informant uh, because he tried <laughs> mostly because he's actually a terrible person. Uh, but the way this film kind of very slowly sneaks that to you, like you, it starts with you just being like, no, this guy seems like a pretty normal, like good guy. And then it just everything starts to be, well. I might have lied about that. He's I so might have dumb. made that up. He's I so might not dumb. have been telling the truth when I told you that. And it just keeps adding just every every single sentence that comes out of his mouth just starts to turn He's into like frustratingly oh, dumb. True. That is absolutely true. It is a kind of a sleeper hit to me. I, I don't really know. If, I don't think it did great in the box office. And it was advertised as a comedy and it, it it is but i feel like the filmmaking aspect of it the filmmaking that's gone into the movie actually is what makes it so damn special oh it's fucking hysterical <laughs> i was cracking up laughing the whole time i was watching it it was fucking hysterical. Yeah, the, the the tone of this film is is great. It's not, uh, yeah, because I know what Justin's meaning of. It's more of, it's it was advertised with all like the very very like funniest jokey parts was what they showed, but once you get into this movie, it's such, uh, it's very like understated and it almost feels like makes me think of like the the Christopher Guest like mockumentaries where it's like. It's just this guy being real, and that's the humor in it. It's not because he's specifically doing or saying things that are funny. 
it's just his whole personality and situation is inherently comedic from top to bottom and just the way he the way he interacts with people and handles every situation i mean i uh, i like matt damon in general I, I do think he's a pretty good actor but he is like i mean this is this is like one of the few films where i just feel like he completely immerses into this character of just the weirdest guy you've ever met but also kind of just the plainest most boring man you've ever met in your life who i don't know somehow finds himself in this ridiculous situation uh, he he doesn't go uh, one of my other favorite things is how he's constantly referencing like uh michael crichton and john grisham novels like he's like yes man this is like a crichton i thought that was great that was so funny. Yeah, yeah. Those are those like which are like which do feel like the most basic. Like you've been in a a mall or airport bookstore, and that was the bestseller that in the nineties would have been would have been like Michael Crichton and John Grisham. Those would have been like the two biggest authors that like you would always film. see every time you went to the bookstore. Or he, he like references the, com- the film uh, versions. Confidentiality. Like, this is like you can't John Grisham's. The I know firm. how it is. I've watched the firm. Uh, but yeah. Or, or when uh, he yeah, was just talking like about the Asians it, like that and how the Asians were like, it was a, well, they were taking racist. over the company. <laughs> so yeah, the, the fact that, the fact that Oh no, when he's, he's using the Crichton novel, the comparison to the, was which it, part about how sun. they buy, they buy, he was, he was like, vending, it's just like rising sun with, with underwear. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 This is just like rising sun. Yeah. And again with, with him being, uh this unreliable narrator that becomes so much that you question like how what is what is real and what isn't so often like he make he references again one of his first little lines of uh narration is like is it porsche or porsche i lived in germany for eight years you'd think i'd know or something like that but then you almost immediately like once you get further into this movie you're like did he even live in germany like he keeps talking about things that you're like he he feels like he always wants to seem like very worldly and references being in Asia and and going to Germany, but then you start to think you're like, but did he actually go to these places or does he just like, is he just good at like memorizing facts about things that he's seen and, well, and then he he tells everybody that his family died in a car accident when they were sick when he was six, and then he was raised by a guy who owned amusement parks and was like a billionaire. And so he grew up in money and he tells it so many times. Like you think it's like legit because of how much he tells it. It's like, okay. Which is like the stupidest story. (laughs) This guy from Ohio that had amusement parks. Yeah. He's he. What's the German word for corn? Plain simple man working with a high fructose corn syrup. And uh, you know, he, he caught, he concocts. Oh God. I don't think he gives the drum word for corn. He gives the drum word for pen, which was like, it was like a ridiculous, ridiculous thing. He's like, all those syllables just for pen. He wants to, he, yeah, he's very much, yeah, he's, he's like a Walter Mitty type character who clearly like daydreams about his life being more adventurous. Again, like he, he wants his life to be one of these Crichton novels that he reads that he'll get like sucked into this whirlwind investigation so the, so yeah he slowly starts to big lie number one is that he's being extorted by yeah a Japanese businessman to to help 
uh, they're, they're the lysine that they're making. They've got a virus, and this guy from Asia's got the got the cure, and only if they give him ten thousand dollars. Yeah, it backfires so fast in this movie too. He gives out his first lie, and they're like, "We got the FBI involved." Well, why would you do that? Yeah, why would you call the FBI? This is a terrible idea. You can't do things like that. Yeah, which which then uh, the way they set it up though early on uh is a good bit of like misdirection because at first they're talking about the the FBI coming and they want to tap his phones and the wife his wife Melanie Linsky is like she 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 knows something's up and she keeps saying like well if you don't tell him something about it I will and it very much seems to imply that that something's going on and that that more that he's doing something illegal. So I, I do enjoy how it sets up immediately that he's a criminal. But then once the once Scott Bakula shows up and he gets in the car and tells him it has nothing to do with him lying at first. It's about the, the whole price fixing thing. So we we don't even learn about the fact that the the whole extortion thing was a lie till like half an hour later when it's well, why didn't you call me about the extortion thing? He's like, I might have made that part up. So it's, you know, they they first try to misdirect you that he is. Mark, now you can't tell anybody about this. All right. <laughs> I'm serious, Mark. That guy is so bad at keeping like secrets. Like 20 minutes later. Now, who did you tell? He tells everybody. It doesn't matter. He talks to every fucking person <laughs> in the whole movie. It's so funny. It's like, who did you tell? Like, well, you can't talk to, to anyone. And he's just like, yeah. And then he goes to his lawyer and then he's like, you can't talk to anyone. And then he immediately goes and talks to people. And I was like, what is wrong with this guy? His, uh, his tapes he makes are great too. I, I love his tape. I just don't understand what the hell the guy's thinking. Or when he gets like, roughed up and he's like, does his like quick drive home and his, his ripped his shirt. And he's like, I was attacked. Look at my shirt. That's like very specifically. You can tell that something happened to me. I don't understand how this guy keeps. We took a joy. Going. We took a twenty-minute joy ride. <laughs> You're kidnapped. They drove around for twenty minutes. Well, he's always uh, he's always adjusting. You know, he took a joy ride. He's always adjusting his toupee as well, which is which is perfect. He's he's just gotta he's gotta keep going to to keep that illusion. He he can't. Uh, he can't break. They do show, or yeah, early on. It's it is also very vague as to how wealthy he's supposed to be because he's when we first see him, he's driving a Porsche. So you're like, oh man, that guy's got it. Like he's got a lot of money. But then I feel like he starts talking about like how much he makes, and it's like, oh, I make like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And I'm like, I, I don't feel like he makes enough money to own a Porsche. Which then it like continues What's the, on uh, further word, and further. I can't remember. That's to, what I was trying to look up. You keep what seeing is the him drive multiple cars too. Like, mispronouncing like he's driving the Porsche. Then he's driving something else. He's like, and then I sound like an idiot. I said it wrong. No one ever corrected me. They just let me go on my, oh. <laughs> just let me go on living and saying it wrong. I can't think of what it was either. Now, yeah, now you're making me think. Sorry, I'm making the episode a weird questionnaire episode. And for $10,000, Chuck, can you guess the word that Matt Damon cannot say? Yeah. Um, I'm getting alerts that you're having a problem, Lexi. Is that true? Okay. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to get an alert every two seconds. You have an error, Lexi. Yeah, we're just... we're just. I'm the host. It tells me when there's getting, errors. Getting more tense and more direct. 
I'm just gonna let it go. It's it, it it's it says it's recording. I'm just gonna let it record. Let it go <laughs> to post. She'll edit it and post, and it'll sound it amazing. Yeah, this movie does have a great cast though, full of full of like all stand up comedians. Just for whatever reason, the Soderberg was just on like I'm gonna hire every stand up comedian I can find to be in this film. Joe, Joe McHale's funny. Patton Oswalt pops up. The Smothers Brothers. Paul Tompkins. Tony Hale. Not a trans actress. Biff. <laughs> Tom Wilson, right? Yeah, Tony Hale. I like calling him Tom Biff. Papa. I'm sorry. There's, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, Tom Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Clancy Brown. I like that all the actors were serious actors or very dramatic actors, and there weren't a lot of comedic performances or Every, people in this movie. I I love not only that this takes place in the 90s and I get a lot of 90s vibes from it but the biggest 90 vibe is the the look of Mark Whitaker is my dad in the 90s like that's like 100% what he looked like he had the same mustache and everything the same glasses he's talking about Michael Crichton it's gotta be it's gotta be the 90s Michael Crichton and John Grisham I like some of the obviously the plants and payoffs in this one too, when he's talking about the corn and he's talking about how the, they're possibly feeding it to the shrimp to make the shrimp bigger. And then there's that scene later where they're at the having dinner and the guys, you know, eating these like huge jumbo shrimp. And he just has that look on his face. Like that's absolutely disgusting. Cause I know what's in there. The, the giant cocktail shrimp. Yeah. Yeah, when when Joel McHale flips over the box, that's yeah. Like I said, that's when, when Joel McHale like looks you, at the box and he's like, have, "Period." Like, Damn it, high fructose corn. Do you think here. that he was he was, right. he was actually sabotaging? And do you think he actually put the virus in the lysine? Yeah, because he keeps going back and forth on things, and he's not a good liar because he forgets what he's lying about. So he falls back. That's why I I'm. I can't do that. I would be this person if I was lying. I'd be like the... I wouldn't be able to keep up with the lies on all. No. This person's gone. That person's gone. I'm the only one that's left. Yeah. He's like he's like telling his wife, he's like, they have to make me CEO. Like, I mean, I'll be the only one left there after after everybody else is gone. I'll be the only... Yeah. I'll be the only one left. They'll have to make me the, the president of the company. Like, I like when we're behind on the lies... We're from the perspective of the FBI as they're learning things. And then they have to confront him. Like, those are some of my favorite moments in this. Just Brian Shepard, Agent Brian Shepard being just pissed. Like, like Mark, you get your own lawyer. I know. I know. I'm not joking. You have to get your own lawyer. You can't get the company lawyer. So when he does finally get that lawyer in that scene with, you know, the company lawyer and... He's, he's asking about confidentiality and he starts shutting the blinds. You're like, what did he fuck up now? <laughs> yeah. Well, what did he tell him? <laughs> and then and then he's like, I'm sorry, guys. And they're like, wait, wait a minute. What are yeah, you sorry I advised him to Yeah, I advised him to seek seek out his own attorney. Yeah, and the comparison too to the Coens, because this is now in my mm-hmm. mind, it does like strongly remind me of burn after reading like the the there humor were, in uh, this kind of makes me think think about that yeah again with brad pitt and george clooney two of two of Soderbergh's like like again yeah, there's a, 
I feel like there's a lot more crossovers than people even initially noticed between those uh, all those guys. It's Marvin Hamlish. <laughs> he did the Sting. We talked about uh, we talked about those heist <laughs> films. Again, he loves heist films. I'm sure his first thought was, "I love the Sting." Would you like to make movie about uh, music for my movie about a guy in the '90s embezzling money from his company? Like, and, and I mean, there. I guess they're they're almost are kind of like it's not full on, but he still plants like those little like heist type seeds of like you were saying, like a lot of the double talk and like the characters. Yeah. It's, he obviously is trying to do a heist on his employer. It's like, what if the heist went a hundred percent stealing all this money from them and getting, uh, getting away with it cleanly. But, uh, the other connection with, with, uh, what, what, yeah. What if it's, what if it was the worst person at doing a heist and he doesn't know what he's doing at all? Uh, but he, but he's still very confident that he can pull this out. What about the kickbacks? Yeah. What, wait, what, what kickbacks? <laughs> he keeps doing it all the time. Yeah. I, I do love, I do love this. Uh, the, this film is all, it, it, do, it does kind of have that break of being two films. Like there's that first part where, where like you were saying, it is all like fun and he just wants to, he just wants to live out his like James Bond fantasy of being a you know spy or being on the inside and then it once the once they do like the fbi raid that's like the point where it completely shifts and and that's when we start getting like all of his lies and yeah it does get like really dark with him it still has like some comedic moments but the the one scene that he really gets into that i think is probably one of the best scenes in the whole film is when he's uh when he makes that fake note from his doctor and then he's talking to that's like the last scene that Scott Bakula is with him when he's like sitting in his house. And, and that's when his like his lies start really falling apart and they, they put his, they put his voiceover narration and that's when it gets like, he, even his voiceover gets to be like really depressing. Like when he's, he's like, well, I, I started to notice, you know, you, uh, the phone number seems wrong. Stop, Mark. Like, and then it just, it's like in his head, he's like, Oh, you noticed the phone number's wrong. And he's like, well, I, it was probably, uh, you know, people ordered stationary ahead of time. Like they knew that this was happening. And he's like, but, but I got your, I got the date of when they announced it. And you, and that's still dated six days before it was announced. So there's no way he could have known. And then he's like, and then it goes back to his voiceover narration. It's like, he can't do this to me. Like it just keeps getting like sadder and sadder, like the longer that scene goes on. And then it's like, they, yeah, he's like, I talked to your doctor and he's like, you, uh, you you can't uh you can't talk to my doctor and he's like I could talk to yeah, well, your doctor I couldn't talk crime, to your doctor I'm if there was any truth in your accusations and there was actually a discussion but the letter's fake and then he's it, like he just loses it yeah it's just a pathological liar they just go like like they're uh, just yeah. so used to it working out that when you're watching them flub like it just dude it's a train wreck it's hard to watch. Well, think about think about this. Think about the dynamic of the movie, the way that this movie works. In the beginning, you're more likely to trust and believe this guy. But as you spend more time with him, you know that he's lying. So when he lies as often as he does, usually small talk or people that aren't familiar with him, uh, it works. It elevates his his experience. So like when he's talking about acting all worldly, like Chuck said, people are probably interested in it. But the dynamic that changes over the course of the movie, like the FBI agents, like they're there for him and they want to help him. But then by the end of the movie, they don't want anything to do with him because they feel 
betrayed by it. And I think that's kind of the exact same thing that happens with real world pathological liars. He was adopted by rich people. <laughs> we died in the mm. car accident. <laughs> do you know Mark's been telling people he was adopted and we died? Why would he do that? Going back to what you said, not even just that phone call where it cuts to like, it's like Illinois or something. And this lady's like gardening and they're like, uh, is it the FBI that's on the phone for her or something? They're like, it's the FBI. And she's like, oh, what? <laughs> they're calling him out, Mark. It's somebody, yeah. They want to talk to you about Mark? Yeah, his, that's like that's like the first indication that this is clearly, like this isn't something new. It's been going on basically since he was a kid because he, he gives that explanation of that he found out that on uh, on like entrance, uh, you know, forms for getting into college, like people like to hear about a sad story or people are more interested in people when they have a background, like that they were adopted by somebody. And it, he's, so that's like where he first starts of, well, if I tell people my parents are dead and I got adopted, then it'll, they'll be more interested in me and they'll be more likely to, to accept me into the thing. And it's like, so it's, yeah, it's, it's clear that this isn't just like something that happened. It's just been with him forever that he's, he's literally been lying since he got out of high school. It's, and once he started again, it's, it's like you were saying, you can't stop. Like you have to keep going with the lie. You can't just suddenly say, Oh no, my parents are actually alive. I was just making that up. Like he's, he's been living with that for like 20 years of telling everyone the that his movie parents doesn't are dead. Say. Like how does his, uh, I almost started to question like, does his wife even know that his parents are actually still alive? Like, is he never in, introduced his, his own? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't get into that. Like, cause he never even introduced his wife and his, now he has adopted kids because he, he's like, he had to continue with the lie. So it had to right. be. He, ex he definitely know, told his wife that. Up. Cause that's, do you want to have kids? Well, I mean, I was adopted, so I guess we should probably, that's why adopt they have kids. adopted kids. So he's like kids. continuing on into like <laughs> Chuck's hundred percent right deeper there. into stuff. Well, we know it's probably more than what is said at the end of the movie too. Even, even at the end. Yeah. But it's like, I, yeah, the, the, I, this is this is another like I feel like that that there's a lot of things in this movie that are you almost don't notice them at first. But I feel like the editing is one of the best parts of this film because the way that he the way that he perfectly stacks those scenes of every time it cuts in is like and it's like, look, I mean, he might have stole one point five million dollars. And then it like the very next scene is like a bunch of different people sitting around and they're like they're like look when we totaled all the checks at three million dollars and it just every scene keeps adding more and more and it keeps cutting and then and then yeah once we once we get that final uh him in jail and he's trying to he's trying to get a pardon from the from the president and uh when he starts talking to joel McHale and he's like look man can't we all just let it go i mean it was only 13 and a half million dollars he's like what 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 was it and he's like what did I say? And he's like, is it nine or is it 13? And he's like, ah, who knows, man? And just like, cause he's so dismissive of it. And it's like, we, we did get all the money back. Right, Mark. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so like, yeah, I love that. It just still leaves up in the air that, that yeah, probably, probably he still had more bank yeah. accounts that they just weren't aware of. And yeah, probably ones that his wife had that they didn't even know about that. That yeah, he he definitely still had some money by the end of the film that that just was completely unaccounted for. I mean, again, like we, I think I think she says uh, his wife says like 
that they had nine cars. There were like three of them that they didn't even drive. Like he was just constantly wanting to buy more, more things. That's where it comes in. It's one of those, you know, when, when you say, well, why didn't I mean, he just stop me and, lying? Me and it's Chuck like, have yeah. dealt with our fair share of lies and liars. Uh, but I, I feel like Chuck's one of the more honest people that I've ever met. I'm sure he lies too, but it's very seldom. If there's any person that I expect to hear the truth from, it's him. I'd rather people say like, hey, I'm not a perfect person, but this is what I am. Sorry. So there's some sort of empathy there. It's it's kind of weird going back to the you know the story of this movie where you have a character that does is a sociopath essentially. He doesn't care about anybody else, but his wife's still there for him, like she's very much in his camp, you know. But I'm even speaking like when he finally gets out of jail and she's still there. That well, is I mean, such a strange life, thing to me. And I know like it happens it all the time. Well. He's the COO of a company. They go to jail for embezzlement for years and then they get another job where they're in charge money of money. And like, went I don't to get prison it. and is a felon. Uh, but if you're a janitor and you're really smart, then um... <laughs> yes. That must have been the pitch for this movie. Yeah. Matt Damon, what if everything Works out for Matt Damon every time. I mean, that didn't work out for him financially. But I, I think the I'm pretty next sure that was the pitch is, for the next uh, film we're talking I mean, about. Oh, we'll talk about it when we get into it. I feel like the, I honestly feel like the what happens in this movie is worse personally <laughs> than what happens to him in Contagion. Well, that's because everybody dies, so they don't have to like remember any of his problems. Like this one, it's <laughs> exactly. like everyone's there as a constant reminder of. Yeah, remember that time you lied to all of us? Like Contagion, it's just like. Oh, thank God everyone died. No one knows how bad of a person I was. I, that that was that was why I picked this one because I was like I I don't think I don't think I know a single person that has like watched this film and come away and been like, eh, that wasn't a good movie. Like everyone, I feel like I've been like you had no I, doubt. Watching Informant, it's funny. Like they, they come away. You had no like, doubt that like that, that movie was like, hilarious. Like it was so it, weird, it. but it just I don't, yeah, everything about this movie works so well. There's no doubt. I yeah I I, I had strong feelings. I was like I was like God that. I, that that would have been like the day that I would have been like, how do I, I think how do you I truly are a broken person if you came out and said, said, the informant was a bad movie. I'd be like, there, no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No one said, no one, I will not stand for this. And you haven't watched Contagion yet either, right? You said, oh my God, this is going to be a good month. It, it could, it could never be a Netflix movie because no one will stream Soderbergh's films apparently. Cause this, this one also was like not streaming anywhere and neither is contagion or so under the radar. It's $50. Cause there was, there's barely any prints of it left. It's probably <laughs> super cheap now because, because it's so like under the radar, it's probably like less than $10. You could get the informant on Blu-ray from Amazon for $8 and 39 cents. Yeah. That's why, that's why I hate renting things. I mean, sometimes you really get your money out of them. I remember whenever, yeah, I got something like Enemy. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And I watch it with Chuck. Then I watch it, you know, like you just keep going through and watching it with other people. I think I watched it with Chuck the first time. But you're like, let's just watch this movie again. <laughs> but yeah, there's a couple movies like that I'm at, I'm surprised with. I'll, I'll follow people on Twitter and they'll say, yeah. I can't find this movie anywhere. It's never been on Blu-ray or anything. And I have it because I got it from like Hollywood video for $8 or something. And I'm like, I don't even, I didn't even know it's like a rare hard movie to even have. 
Yeah, and they re- they come out with that movie again, and the price drops to nothing. Actually, one movie that I really hate is a Matt Damon movie. Chuck knows the Great Wall. No, oh, the Great Wall. Yeah, it just took me a second. I mean, the Chinese made the movie, but that was like that was like the original version of like the uh uh like the Little Mermaid being black. It was like it was a completely made up story. Like it was not. Like that, I think that was everyone's thing. Was mm-hmm. it's not a historical, like b- true it based movie. I, it was a movie about dragons correct, attacking the China. Great Wall. Of <laughs> like China, they make it like just happened to be he's there. Definitely a foreigner. I wouldn't put my. I wouldn't say. I mean, maybe I did say. I I don't like despise that movie hundred percent. So I'd have to find something that's just like so bad in every way. Killing kids would be a great theme. That 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 can be our that can be one month. Who wins? Killing kids. Pet Cemetery has a pretty good kill. I I could probably find some that are like unconventionally depressing and not like a horror film at all. Just like oh shit. Yeah, I'll do two. I'll try to do two things next year. I'll try to pick movies that uh, I don't like, so you can get that kind of perspective. But I also want to try to to find uh, something that Lexi likes. I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm just going to hope that it happens. He does have a horror movie, a psychological horror film, Unsane. Uh, that's a bad thing. Soderbergh makes movies so quickly. I swear to God, he makes like two movies a year. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he, it's like Chuck said on the last episode. He tried to retire, and he wasn't able to because he already, he's like, he's like, I have five ideas that I have to finish. And the Liberace movie was the one that he was that was going to be his final movie. And I was it an HBO movie? It was like a TV movie. It's not theatrical, but it did it did come out for like HBO or something. It pretty much it was a real movie, you know. HBO, yeah. Matt Damon's in it, yeah. Yeah. It's uh Michael Douglas or something. Michael Douglas. But yeah, he did uh he did Liberace, and then he was like, I'm gonna play around with TV for a little bit. He did The Nick. He did two seasons of The Nick. And then he just like fired off so many movies after that show. I love these people. They they say, oh, I don't think I have very much more to say. And then they're like, all right, I guess I had 20 more movies in me. I'm sorry. I lied to you all. I mean, to me, he's he's one of the most impressive ones. But it's not just, it's not his direction. It's his filmmaking process and how involved he is. And he is actually talented in very di- many different aspects of filmmaking. He unfortunately is kind of Woody Allen-ish too, where he's like, you know, not the. Uh, <laughs> he's like he. It's like you just keep making movies, 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 and if you have a bad one or one that doesn't go over too well, who cares? You're already on to your next movie. Or, all right. It's old enough that I think that it could pop on the Criterion, and everyone would be like, "Oh, buying the informant for, for fifty dollars on 4K." <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, he's Do done documentary work yeah. too. He's done a, a couple of them. Well, the one was Spalding Gray going blind. I can't remember which. It, yeah. I'm trying to think of what else he did off the top of my head. I do like this aspect of I'm not checking the internet. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Here's another thing that I think was cool. If you got King of the Hill and Criterion, it all as a bonus feature, it came with his follow-up movie, The Underneath. There's a whole additional movie on there. King of the Hill is a, a narrative movie. I don't know if I could piece together the plot right off the top of my head because I've watched it so long ago. No, can't do it. I think it was just, it was like a period piece and there was something about a kid driving a car. 
I liked it, but not. It didn't stand. I don't think it stands out as as some of his best. I think it's more. It's one of the ones that are more interesting because you're. Was this his second movie? So you're kind of seeing the transformation of this guy. You're kind of seeing where he's coming from. It's, it's a coming of age story. So what are your final thoughts on the informant? What haven't you got to say this episode that you really want to say about the informant? I just really enjoyed it. It was a good movie. It's a movie that I will watch again. I keep trying to get Rachel to watch it because it's really good. Because then I can talk to her about it. All right. That was our episode. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. Bye. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.